The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. On today's episode of On the Farm, a man who I've grown quite fond of over the last year or so, Daniel Port. As we continue to discuss all things related to dynasty formats and a team-by-team breakdown throughout the offseason, Daniel wrote up the San Diego Padres hitter analysis for Pitcher List. Uh, you can go check that out on the site. I'd encourage you to. It's an awesome read. Here we go. Today on the farm, we are continuing on our uh, hitter analysis and dynasty perspectives uh, with Daniel Port, who is all over PitcherList, but in this particular venue, he has written on the San Diego Padres. Uh, So Daniel, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How's it going? It's good. Do you go by Daniel or Dan or how does it, Mr. Port? Um, Either one works. I you know, I kind of just got used to answering the both. <laughs> I've never been in a room where I only had one Dan, you know, half my life. So I just answered them both. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got a ton. You wrote uh, a, on a really interesting team. Uh, there is talent everywhere. And I don't know what they're going to do with all of it. But um, I was thinking that maybe we could uh, start talking about the major league hitters uh, that you did a wonderful write up on. And then we could jump into the minor mm-hmm. leagues. Sounds great. All right, great. So um, I had a few names here, obviously. You know, we have the highlights. So we have um, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, uh, Francisco Mejia, and Eric Cosmer were a couple of the other names that I was interested in uh, discussing. But is there anybody in particular that you want to start uh, with first? I mean, those are kind of the big highlight uh, players. It'll be interesting to see in the long run what they do with – Will Myers, obviously, with the I know they're trying to move him in that, and that's always a very interesting thing. Though, we'll just more create a log jam in their outfield and see what they're going to do with that. But other than that, those are kind of the big, the big guys to hit on um, from that perspective, because that'll then once that domino falls, we'll see what you know Trent Grisham's season is going to look like. We'll see what uh, Josh Naylor ends up with. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do with Will Myers. Not that I think he'll play particularly well, or someone we should pay attention to. But his playing time will kind of uh, impact a couple other players, I think. 
Well, so let's start with Fernando Tatis Jr. then, uh, and and we'll go from there. So obviously he uh, started last year um, after the Padres signed him to a rather lucrative contract to buy out his arbitration years. Or no, they actually didn't do that, did they? I don't think so, no. Uh, I'm thinking of him and Eloy at the same time. So yeah, it was he actually was just called up and they said, let's start your clock, let's do this. So right. uh, with him, he posted 150 WRC+. Plus. That is mm-hmm. insane. Is he it as really good as that? Is. I mean, he had. Yeah, you know, I think um, some of it is one of those sort of. It's not smoke and mirrors in the sense of obviously some of it. You know, when you start digging into the numbers, you start to see some some things that cause some skepticism. He had a four ten bab up last year uh, with a two fifty five x batting average versus the three hundred plus average he put up for the season. So, you know, I mean, there's some reason for skepticism, but it's actually really interesting in that, uh, obviously, the I, I really do firmly believe the power and the speed are for real. Um, and he hits the ball very hard. So, you know, there are some thoughts that could be repeatable. But the big thing is um, the very high uh, infield hit rate, which you'd expect for someone that uh, with that kind of speed. And so, you know, he has the kind of profile that could easily – outperforms some of those uh, expected hit metrics that we're looking at. And so it wouldn't shock me if he continues to, which, uh, you know, infield hit percentage can be a um, a repeatable skill that we could see him continue to outperform his expected metrics since those would consider them uh, not, uh, you know, would not consider them to be uh, hits, but they end up because of his legs and whatnot. So if he continues to use that as a weapon, I think, you can see that, but I, what I would, just looking at the profile, looking at all those things, I would say I'm not going to bank on, especially the average output. But I think the power is right where it's going to be, and I think his speed is obviously uh, not going anywhere anytime soon either. So I, I think he's got a really nice floor, and then we'll see where the average goes from there. His uh, his K percentage was a scotch too high for me, so I think that that OP, OBP is definitely going to drop a little bit next year, right? I mean, I get the speed, but his speed is basically carrying him to get on base. Uh, he's not really right. walking at a at a really wild clip. So, I mean, do you feel like that launch angle is going to be an issue? I know that he had what twenty something home runs last year, over three hundred at bats. Do you see him continuing to? to put up those high numbers. I mean, if you extrapolated that, which is a bit of a dangerous game to play, he's looking at 30-plus home runs, 35 home runs over the course of a year. Right? Yeah, you know, I mean, the launch... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, I think I noted when I talked about the obviously his launch angle is is a little troubling. We, I, I'm with you. I would like to see that go up a little more if he's gonna you know have that kind of swing and miss in his game you want when he hits the ball to be hitting it hitting it in the air uh given especially given how hard he hits the ball but um i think what uh when i looked at his um his numbers and kind of started breaking him down for the profile uh, you know the thing i noticed was that while while he uh uh while his launching was a little low when you break it down into it it's individual visual stuff uh you know, and look at the launch angle charts, those really nice launch angle charts they've got at uh, uh, Baseball Savant and whatnot. You know, his hits are coming in the areas that I like to see them come in. You know, the vast majority of his hits and really his batted balls were coming in, you know, in between that, you know, essentially five at the minimum launch angle and all the way up into that 25 to 30 range. And that's 
story like this. I think, you know, it's skewed a little bit by the fact that he did have a tendency to uh, whack the ball, you know, straight down in the ground sometimes when he hit his ground balls. Um, and I think if he can get that figured out a little bit more, uh, we'll see that launch angle start to rise. But it might, uh, in general, be skewed a little little bit by outliers. So I'm not as worried about that launch angle. Uh, now, the swing and miss part of his game, I definitely, like I said, if he's not going to you know, hit the ball more often in the air than that and hit those weak ground balls, I definitely want to swing and miss less. But we'll have to see if that's, you know, he was a rookie last year. Uh, you know, it, I expect at least somewhat as he's seeing more to either see that improve or uh, if he's going to swing and miss that much. Uh, I expect him to keep, you know, hitting the ball hard and barreling it hard because, you know, that's kind of what goes along with that as well. All right. So, so let's play a little Would You Rather. Um, shortstop sure. from a dynasty perspective is a little top heavy. Uh, there are some, some big names at the top, and then it falls off pretty markedly. So, um, in, in a dynasty format, in a dynasty perspective, Fernando Tatis Jr., would you rather him or Trevor Story? Uh, honestly, in that case, I'd rather go Story. Uh, I tend to be a little risk averse sometimes, even in dynasty, and obviously, Story's still real young. Uh, but he's doing everything we hope Tatis will do. He's been doing it for several years now, so I know he can he can do it. Whereas we've got some risk with uh, Tatis. Okay, and then uh, Tatis Jr. or Alex Bregman? Obviously, Bregman could I think play as well. third base, but you know, you're right. Um, I think I'd still uh, probably take Bregman in that case. You know, uh, as you mentioned with the on-base percentage, with the, uh, you know, with all the other sort of outlying the, you know, K rate and uh, the swing strike rate and things like that. I think Bregman's just got a, a better floor than Tatis, but the trade-off obviously is that Bregman doesn't really steal bases in the way that Tatis will. And I do think that that, if you're looking at it from that perspective, obviously I think, I don't think no matter what uh, Tatis is, skill set ends up being as he continues in the majors. I think those that, that speed's not going anywhere. So, I, uh, you know, it would sort of break down for me depending on what I needed for my team. But I, I think at this point I'd go Bregman for still. And then Javier Baez or uh, Tatis Jr.? That one I'd take Tatis Jr. over. Um, you know, I think that uh, for Javi, I've always kind of had a hard time with his uh, his approach. Yeah, I think he still uh, swings too, far, too much out of the zone for me. He, uh, you know, I don't necessarily always think that that'll sustain throughout his whole career, especially if uh, if how hard he hits the ball ever starts to fade a little bit. I kind of look at these two in the sense of being pretty even, um, like in terms of their skill set and what I what I see out of them. And at that point, then I'd rather take the guy who, uh, you know, who who has a higher uh, ceiling. I think we know what Javi Baez is at this point as a player. And the, the sky could be the limit for Tatis. So uh, I think uh, in that case, between those two, I'd rather take Tatis. All right. So uh, resident skeptic at pitcher list and uh, somewhat my nemesis, uh, Travis Shear, has uh, gone out of his way to lambast and harpoon Manny Machado. And Did I lose you? Oh, can you not hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I can hear you just fine. So, uh, okay. resident crank at Pitcher List, Travis Shear, has gone out of his way to uh, lambast and harpoon Manny Machado and his fantasy value. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of get your feelings on it. Uh, he's obviously going to start playing third base 
on a more consistent basis, but he does have shortstop eligibility this year as, as well. Um, what do you think? How, where does he land as far as value goes for you? You know, I think uh, with Machado, the it's really about uh, perspective and kind of what you're expecting out of him, your expectations for him. I think that if you're, you know, looking for that 300 average, you know, with the 30 home runs and whatnot, he has the shot to disappoint you. And I think that's when you're looking at it uh, at a ceiling and you're like, I expect him to hit that ceiling. I could see where Machado would be someone you'd be down on. But, you know, and that's kind of been his thing is he yo-yos from year to year. Some years he's got a 260 average, some, you know, near 300. And he kind of just goes back and forth between the two. And... I would expect next year to be the same. I couldn't tell you honestly if he's going to hit 260 or 300 next year. It's going to be a really th- – that's just kind of how his season is going to go. But you can pencil him in for 30 home runs. And I think that's – you know, in tons of RBIs, especially now that you look at – he's going to have at some point – he's going to have Tatis and Tommy Pham hitting in front of him that you look at. He's got plenty of RBI opportunities. And then he's got still uh, Hosmer, which I know we're going to get to in a – in a little bit, uh, hitting behind him, you know, and you you start to rack up these things where it's just like I think Machado is a really dependable source of stats. You can pencil him in. You know what you're going to get from him. You know exactly what he's going to do. There are some concerns, uh, you know, this K rate uh, obviously went up uh, 4.7 percentage points last year, but still sub 20%. So, I mean, you're still talking – Below the, uh, you know, better than league average, uh, you know, uh, K rate. So, uh, you know, I'm not too concerned about it. Even if it continues to go up as he ages, it's still not a huge uh, issue into his game. So, you know, I'm going to pencil him in, you know, somewhere in the, you know, probably 260s for his average like he did last year. And then expect 30 home runs, plenty of RBIs. He's going to play every day. And then... You know, if I get more than that, I'm happy as a clam. So I'm actually really pretty big on Machado as long as the price is right. Now, you know, looking at some of the ADPs and things where he's been going, um, you know, somewhere in the, you know, somewhere between the third and fifth round, a lot of times I've been seeing, that's perfectly fine for me. I like having that dependability in that area. What do you think, what's your speculation? So you mentioned that the average yo-yos back and forth, so does the OBP. What? Mm -hmm. What is that? Why why does that happen? You know, like what's what's the speculation behind that? Yeah, I think sometimes uh, he's always kind of struck me as one of those players who's you know trying to do things because you know do a certain thing. And I wonder if at some point with Machado that it's just a, an approach that he kind of is always kind of changing a little things or trying to uh, you know go to certain things. He's also his baby swings fairly wildly there too so you never know especially somewhere in a new team in a new park you could easily see him trying to to adjust to a different setting obviously you couldn't find two more different ballparks than Baltimore and San Diego Uh, so I wouldn't be be shocked if that plays into it and some of it might just be be, uh, you know bad luck or the way you know his you know his swinging style could obviously lead to some variance in there it could, you know, and sometimes it's baseball, baseballs. But I think when I look at it, you know, what I like about where that sits is, you know, obviously this past year is, is walk rate stayed about the same. Uh, I think that you just have to look and see if um, 
the BABIP rebounds. Because, you know, if you look at down the line from starting in about 2014 when he comes up, you know, the years he has a high average, he has a, a 300 plus, you know, or near 300 uh, BABIP. And then the years that the average suffers in 2017 and 2019, you're talking about 265 BABIP in 2017 when he hit 259. And then you're talking about a, a 274 BABIP last year when he hit 256. So it could uh, be just literal random variance. Uh, to him and to the luck he's getting. It does also somewhat correspond with the two highest, uh, two higher um, fly ball percentages of his career, so that could play a part into it, into it as well. It's it's wild to me to still think that he is a 27-year-old. You know, I feel like he's been around now for, what, four years? And it's just, yeah. he's he, he's like a known commodity. When I looked at it and I said, no way, he's got to be like 29 by this point. Still 27, still producing every year, year in and year out. That consistency is is something to be valued. So let's play a little Would You Rather with uh, Machado and thinking strictly sure. about third base because I feel like that's where he's going back to. That's where he'll end up being. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, okay, would you rather at this point in time, for from a dynasty perspective, uh, Manny Machado or a. Eugenio Suarez? I think in that situation, I'd take uh, Suarez. I think that at this point, he's established that that you know that forty home run, forty something home run mark is going to be his uh, his peak, you know. But like, whereas I think we can expect around thirty out of. Machado, you know, I think Suarez has a higher ceiling for home runs, and I'll always take that, especially given that I think their floor is roughly the same. Even if there is a more uh, more ceiling for average with Machado, I, I'd rather bet a bank on the home runs uh, from Suarez. Okay, so uh, uh, Manny Machado or Yoan Moncada? I'll take Machado there. Uh, I like wrong, wrong, again, wrong. Sorry. <laughs> I totally get it. And like, you know, uh, I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm a more uh, oftentimes a, a risk averse guy. But given that he's only 27, um, you're going to have a lot more, a lot of fruitful years out of Machado where I see the floor being. Uh, yeah, I'll bet on that floor in that sense of the, the guy I already know is elite. I love Moncada and I hope he keeps doing what he did last year. But I think if I was drafting right now, I'd probably go Machado. I mean, if I'm looking at it just from a pure speed perspective, I feel mm-hmm. like, and, and Steamer projects Moncada to only have about 12 stolen bases. I think it'll probably be a little bit higher than that based on where he'll bat in the order. But Machado's ability to steal double digit bases is probably gone at this point. I wouldn't anticipate him continuing to put up 10 plus stolen bases. Would you agree with that? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we'll, I guess we'll do uh, we'll do one more. Um, sure. Would you take uh, Would you take Moncada? I, I feel like Chris Bryant is probably the last name where I'm a little iffy on whether or not I take him or Macha- uh, Machado. Yeah, I, I go Chris Bryant there. I think um, the OBP that's one considerably where... higher there. Yeah. That's it. I think if you didn't factor in a batting average or that variance in the batting average, they're practically the same player in that sense uh, in terms of what you could expect in fantasy and uh, dynasty. But, you know, I think uh, if I believe I'm correct, I think Bryant's a little bit younger. And also, um, 
you know, he has that floor of a much higher average, much higher uh, output that way. So I think if I had to pick between the two of them, I'm going to take the guy who I know, uh, you know, again, is a little more dependable, has a little less variance than Machado in Bryant. Do you feel like Machado is going to stay at third base for the next, let's just say, over under the amount of time that Machado stays at third base, four years? I will take the uh, the over on that. I, as long as Tatis is a Padre, I think he's going to be the shortstop. No, I could see him moving over to first base eventually. I mean, if they if, oh yeah, if the talent is such that they end up having a Gold Glover at third base, that the prospects come up, um, mm-hmm. you know, they'd probably rather put an aging Machado that can get less wear and tear on his body at first as opposed to a third. But that's just me. I don't know. I could see that. You know, my question, I guess, with that would be, what do we do with Josh Naylor then? We we trade him. Yeah, I guess so. That's fair. <laughs> he he's not one of my favorites. Uh, speaking of not one of my favorites, Eric Hosmer. Now yeah. I feel like he gets beaten down more so than he actually deserves, um, just because he signed mm-hmm. a massive contract, and so everybody was imagining him performing at that level. But I mean, you can't fault a man for being paid beyond his capabilities. From your perspective, Eric Hosmer, as as a player right now, do you feel like his ceiling is 20 home runs, 25 home runs, somewhere in there? Or do you feel like he could find another gear a la, I guess he only made it to 25 in 2016 and 2017. So do you feel like he's just Brandon Bell 2.0? I do. Uh, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. 20 to 25 is his, his maximum of four home runs. If you're investing in Hosmer, you're really investing in him for one one thing, and that's that he has a really consistent ability to put up RBIs. You know, so when you look at Hosmer, and obviously in Dynasty, it's a little rough in that, like, you know, he has passed his prime. He is on the decline. Uh, every sign points to it. Uh, you know, his plate discipline is starting to falter. His batting average is going down. Like, you know, everything points to the fact that Hosmer is not something you want to be investing in in the long term. But where I start to see Hosmer being the kind of thing that uh, you could look at is, you know, in a dynasty league, if you are, say, a team that is, uh, you know, went real heavy in prospects in your draft or especially in a beginning dynasty or something like that where, you know, you're kind of, you go real heavy on your prospects in the beginning and then you, uh, you're kind of filling in the gaps in the back end. You could do worse than Eric Hosmer. In the last five years, he's only, he, uh, he hasn't had less than 90. I guess he's had less than 90 RBIs once in the last past five years. And, you know, he's going to keep, uh, you know, hitting with Tatis and Tommy Pham and Machado in front of him. So he's going to have plenty of RBI opportunities there. So, you know, you could do worse on a back and sort of I need the RBIs or, you know, if you, again, if you went real heavy on your prospects in the beginning, I could see just trying to fill in the gap at first base with Hosmer uh, if you needed to. But other than that, uh, you know, there's not much to get excited about with him otherwise. Would you end up taking Hosmer or Yuli Gurriel moving ahead? Would you end up taking Hosmer or Yuli Gurriel, Gurriel moving ahead? Ooh. Um, I think I think in that case, that's a tough one. That's actually really good. I probably would take Gurriel uh, just in the sense he's got the youth – uh, he's a little younger, um, you know, so I might get more years out of him, you know. But otherwise, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm not excited about either. Gurriel's younger? 
I thought he was, wasn't he? No, he's 35. Oh, gosh. I might have been flipping over someone else then. Uh, but no, uh, age-wise, I mean. Uh, but I think, I think in that case... I, I mean, he's just playing for the better team, too, so I'd probably just take uh, Guriel for just being able to hit in the, the Astros lineup and whatnot, but uh, that's kind of a toss-up. You could go either way with that one if you want. Uh, I'm not excited about either prospect in that sense, but um, would you yeah, take, would you take probably, Osmer probably or Joey one. Votto? Ooh, I take Votto. Yeah, probably. Uh, I think that you know, I think again, it's a that's one of those things. That, and actually, looking at it now, looking at the the moves the Reds have made in this off season, I kind of like him in that offense. I like you know Votto. I think in a weird way for someone to talk about two players as old as they are, I think Votto's ceiling might be a little higher than um, than Hosmer's. Right. It's runs instead of RBIs, but the same idea. Yeah. So really, in the end, if you're if you're in the back end of a draft. 15 teams or more and you're looking for somebody with RBI opportunities and, and limited upside but enough of a floor you're looking at Hosmer as a, as a nice fill-in or a bench bat yes exactly okay. alright and I think the last name that we wanted to touch on was Francisco Mejia uh, he is a former top prospect, uh, very lauded. People went after him very hard. He, they thought that the hit tool was going to be something that could carry him regardless of the place that he was. Obviously, catcher would be more valuable. Now, he's had time eaten up uh, with Austin Hedges, of all people. Where do you see Francisco Mejia? Is he still in an evolvement, in evolving phase of his career, or is this kind of what we should expect out of him as a catcher? I certainly hope, hope that he's still evolving, they still developing, because the profiles we see it now is not anything I'm excited about. But you know, um, I was, you know, I remember seeing when he, you know, chased uh, the the uh, record back down in A ball in 2016, and you know, we heard him coming up about having elite hit tool and you know, have it being an elite contact hitter, good eye, you know, uh, all those things that you expect out of a catcher. And, you know, you, it's always – you take catchers with like a grain of salt because, you know, the bat always comes last, you know. But, unfortunately, the, the problem is he's not a great defender, so you're kind of stuck in this place to figure out what Mejia's going to do. But what worries me about Mejia is he doesn't have the greatest plate discipline. He's a pretty free swinger, but he swung – so far throughout various scatterings of major league time, he, uh, he swung at nearly 50% of – uh, all the uh, all the pitches he sees outside the zone, um, and I, I just like can't <laughs> I can't reckon with that in my head that that'll ever lead to, to success, especially when like last year, for instance, he hit he had a forty seven percent O swing uh, rate and a seventy one percent O contact, so he's swinging at you know almost fifty percent of the pitches out of the zone, and he's hitting three quarters of them, which led to a a two thirty eight batting average on those pitches with a one ninety three x batting average. And while he had a 330 Woba on those pitches, uh, it was a 284X Woba. So it worries me uh, that that's, you know, that we're not seeing that change too much, that no organization is really getting into alter that approach. Because uh, when he was with the Indians, he, was, he had that profile. And you're now seeing it still with the, with the Padres when he got his really his first true big look at the majors last year. Um, and so... He's only 24. There's tons of time. It's catchers, you know, so so you, you have to be patient with their bats coming around. But uh, 
uh, like I need to see it before I'll believe it. Um, the only other thing that really worries me is he missed a big chunk of time at the end of the season last year with an oblique strain. And that's one of those things that lingers. It can really affect how you swing your approach, you know. Um, and then also, it's a, he's a catcher, so it's not like he's not putting a ton of stress already on that side of the body. So, well, uh, I'll be looking to see if, you know, he looks right in spring training, if um, he's having tr- any trouble there as well. So, I'm not real big on Francisco Mejia's future, but again, you never know if he can figure it out or put those skill, those elite skills back into use uh, at the major league level. Don't invest in prospect catchers. That's what I yeah. I've just stay away from them and buy it when you're ready to compete. Um, so let's play a little. Uh, would you rather on him, and then we'll move on to the prospects. Uh, sure. So, would you take uh, Mejia or Williams Astudio? Astudio. Interesting. See, I think I would probably take Mejia still. I feel like. Oh, interesting. I, th- I feel like the upside's there still. I, I, if I recall correctly, their OBP was just about the same. It's just that Mejia's uh, average was slightly lower, which doesn't make a ton of sense, right? It's not like Ostadio's legging out singles, uh, infield singles. Right. So I, I think that they're probably a lot closer than people maybe think. Um, so uh, Mejia or let's just um, Jorge Alfaro. Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. I think uh, in that case, I'm with you. Uh, you know, I, we've seen so much more of Alfaro so far as a as a pro, and you know, I, I it's like a trade off of you know you get Mejia's you know potential as a as a hitter with the bat control and you know his you know the things that we saw coming up through the minors for him, and then you got Alfaro who tends to walk off a lot more. But I think in this case, I'll take the upside with Mejia. Okay. So I got one more name for you, just because he's my yep. little pet project and a guy that I've I've loved for many years now, uh, Mejia or Tom Murphy. You know, it's kind of funny. Is I, I'm actually I, I have a feeling we're going to be in agreement with this one. I'm a, I'm a Tom Murphy guy. Um, I I think the powers there. You saw it last year. Uh, you know, and the Mariners seem intent to put him in situations where he is going to uh, succeed as he learns and gets used to the, the majors. Uh, I think I'd take Tom Murphy over Mejia. Okay. Nice. Me too. Alright, so let's move on to the prospects because I feel like we got a ton of names that, that are just... I mean, like it's just ridiculous. We just talked about Fernando Tatis Jr., Francisco Mejia, both former top prospects. You have Manny Machado out there. A four, well, do you want to talk about Trent Grisham before we jump into the prospects? Anything, any feelings or thoughts on Trent Grisham? Yeah, I do, actually. That's a, a you know, it's going to be interesting, as I was mentioning a little bit at the top. Uh, I'm not a by any means a Will Myers believer, think he's going to rebound in any way, but obviously if he's still on the team, he's going to get playing time. And that will obviously cut into Trent Grisham's short-term value. But long-term, he's another guy that, um, and it's kind of a pattern you'll see with Padres, uh, a lot of the Padres sort of prospecty players that are up in the majors now, uh, and you kind of even saw with Urias before they traded him for Grisham, that they're, they're like one big change in approach away from really starting to you know, break out or do better. And for Grisham, the big thing, you know, obviously his K rate, K rate's a little high for what I, uh, I would like to see, you know, but he walks a lot. But what's actually really interesting is that as I was looking at it, he doesn't 
what I'd like to see change for Grisham before I truly get excited about him is he almost takes too many pitches. And so what he does is kind of while he walks a lot, he puts himself at the back end of these, you know, these counts where he's trying to work the count too much. And that's where I think we see his strikeout rate go up to go with his walk rate. Um, but because the, the eye is there, he's got a, uh, you know, a tw- he had in the majors last year, a 23.6 uh, O swing rate and an 8.1 swing strike rate. So, you know, he's got it. He's got the eye. I just think he's taking too many pitches because when he uh, when he attacks the pitchers early in the count, you know, he had a, a 353x uh, batting average with a 571x slug and a 269 ISO when he was aggressive early in the count on pitches he hit. And that's actually what led to his breakout in AAA. And then he immediately came up to the majors and kind of abandoned that approach a little bit. So I'd like to see him go back to that and getting aggressive early in the count. And Grisham's actually spoken about trying to do that again in 2020. So if he does that, we could really see something um, blossom for him. And so that's something I'll keep an eye on in in spring training and see what kind of playing time he gets uh, out there. So uh, I'm high on him, uh, you know, because that speed's there. It's actually got some pretty good power. But that's what I'm going to need to see before I get really excited about him first. All right. So so let's jump into the prospects because there are probably about mm-hmm. 45 names that I could talk about. Uh, but we'll try to get <laughs> right. down to a few. Um, I'm going to start off with some of uh, the infielders. Uh, I listed mm-hmm. out a few names that I wanted to discuss. And feel free to jump in wherever. Um, but per- first person I want to start off with is Asturi Ruiz. Uh, he is uh, a single A prospect um, that has tantalizing power and speed combo. Uh, he obviously has a bit of swing and miss to his profile, but like you'll hear with many other prospects, uh, he is uh, in the Padre system. He is a 19-year-old uh, that is highly projectable at this point. Um, he has mm-hmm. a really, really, really interesting approach to his uh, batting. Uh, and his batting stance in general, he's very crouched, but then he has this crazy long swing. Uh, and I just, I see him as a potential 2020 guy moving ahead. If you have not bought into him and there are people that are a little shaky on him just because he has not, um, come out guns blazing in 2019, go ahead and poke around and see what you can get for him. Because again, you, one, you can't go wrong with Padres prospects at this point. And two, if he ends up getting playing time, it'll probably be in a couple of years, but if he blows up, he's going to blow up big time. And I think that he could end up being a top 20 prospect when everything breaks. And I think it will break properly for him because so far there haven't been a ton of flameouts on the Padres system. Um, outside of, you know, maybe Josh Naylor um, or Bo Naylor. Uh, but other than that, I, I really like him. I don't know if you have any feelings about Astoria Ruiz. You know, uh, most of what you were talking about, it was funny as I started reading about it, uh, you know, and doing some research. Everything I kept saying in there, seeing there was like uh, comps to like in terms of body type and playing style to uh, Alfonso Soriano. And I don't get my uh, I'll get my attention, attention every time. <laughs> it's like, all right, uh, that skill set is one that's both rare and you always want to keep your eye on. And I think when you're, you know, for me is when I'm investing in prospects that young and that far down in there, that's give me the tools and we'll see if it all comes together because, you know, the risk is always high no matter what when you're investing in someone that low down in the the minors. Give me the guy who's got a chance to be, as you put a 2020 guy or, you know, I mean, heck, last year at a ball and 2019 when he stole 34 bases and 380 plate appearances. So 
you know, there might even be room for more. Who knows? But uh, I, I, I really like him as well. I think. I mean, I, I think he's got a real good shot. You're gonna see. You're gonna see scouts say that he has a long, an elongated swing, but that torque on his bat, the way that he twitches, the the quick wrists. I mean, he can catch up mm-hmm. and plug a lot of holes that seemingly would be there for other players. And the way that he just squats and and the framing of that pitch or the pitch that needs to come through for him to hit, he's gonna foul a bunch of balls off that are coming in on his wrists. And anything that comes through that can catch the bat is gonna go and it's gonna go far. So, uh, yeah, I'm in on him big time. Uh, the other player that I'm very interested in, another young 19-year-old projectable prospect is, uh, and I'm going to mess up his name, uh, Tucupita Marcano. Uh, mm-hmm. he, I mean, I'm very much in on him. Do you have anything? You, have you looked him up or talk, look, read into him at all? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I, I took some looks at him, and it's really interesting in that way that, you know, you see – I love when you look at a uh, an organization. You start as you go through their minors, start seeing trends in the players, players that they're looking for and that they like to work with. And you kind of go down the Padres, uh, you know, prospects lists, and it's it's you know hand-eye coordination and back control over and over and over from half of these guys. Even when you get to like your Mejia and you know all these things, you're looking at these guys who they they seem to really value that sort of. Uh, hand-eye coordination and you know ability to control what they're doing with the ball and pitches and kind of what you were talking about even with uh, with uh, Ruiz, you know, and I think that that's something that they feel like they have the ability to develop. So I, I get really excited when I see that in a player. But anytime you get me, you know, a guy who makes high con high rates of contact but has a walk rate and a K rate right next to each other like that, like uh, uh, Mercanos was last year, I'm always going to be all in on that. That's really exciting. And the interesting thing is he'll probably start the season at double A, but like if you're looking to invest in him in in dynasty, like, you know, if he continues to hit, continues to do the things and the skills progress, you know, could we see him in the end of, you know, 2020 if he performs well, you never know Uh, that that might be, he might be up sooner rather than later uh, as far as dynasty goes. So it's not as long of an investment and say something like Ruiz or something like that. That I, I, I'm right there with you. I really like this guy. Right. He, you know, one of the my favorite things about him is that his hit tool is such that yes, he's going to make a ton of contact. He will not make a lot of power. But the idea that he works a count and works it well, his two uh, his two strike approach uh, in the videos that I've seen of him have been really really strong. I mean, he just has a very polished approach to how he comes in and tries to f- uh, fight off and and make contact and get the ball play um uh, one of the comps that i had read previously is uh he is he's very similar to luis urias who they just traded to um milwaukee for trent grisham um right up are you hey can you hear me yeah, I can hear. Okay. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about Luis, uh, I'm sorry, about uh, Marcano is his very polished approach. I mean, if you've watched videos of him, he gets into that two strike approach. He's just a very like he'll fall away, fall away, fall away until he actually makes contact and puts the ball in play. He rarely doesn't strike out all that much. He works account really well. It's a very polished professional approach to the plate, uh, his plate discipline, and and uh, one of the comps that I had read recently was that he looks very similar to Luis Urias and. While he might not have the power um, like Luis Urias did, um, or at least he, the way that he displayed it when he was in the PCL, Urias that is, he still should be able to make enough contact and have that approach at the plate. So 
ending up at second base for a really good Padres team and batting somewhere down in the lower half or in the two spot is not out of the realm of possibility for him. And, you know, again, 2022, 2023, you're a little ways away for him. Uh, so one of the other names that I want to talk about uh, is Jake Cronenworth uh, because he's one of my other little pet projects, a guy that I identified early and that I keep an eye on. If you like a dude that has a really good strikeout to walk ratio, um, he's your guy. Now, granted, he's 25 years old and in AAA, so you know everybody has their uh, their growth curves and their learning curves. So he's going to be a late bloomer, if anything. Um, but I could see him coming up and serving as a multi-utility uh, infielder, outfielder for the Padres moving ahead. Uh, that walk to strikeout ratio is just something to behold. And he has a he had a really nice ISO last year um, as well. So he has the power uh, as well. Did you look into Cronenworth at all? Yeah, I did. And, you know, um, I remember when I was writing the Padres breakdown, uh, was basically writing the, the tail end of it when it was coming out. And that's when the the fam trade that uh, brought uh, Cronenworth over here uh, to the Padres uh, went down. And so I was reading a lot about him and looking into him. And you're absolutely right that the, you know, still is an elite walk rate, elite, elite K rate. You know, again, those are the kind of things that when you see that that young, and that you know in AAA, I'm I'm always kind of all in. You know, it almost reminds me just looking at his profile and the kind of hitter he was in AAA. You know, could be uh, you know uh, maybe a James Loney plus or something along those lines. You know, kind of a guy who just you know really solid, puts up a lot of numbers. Um, but what really is going to be fascinating to me is you know either a that he really balances approach. He doesn't really hit the center field all that often. He's you know, around, you know, an upper 30s pull hitter, upper 30s uh, oppo field hitter. So if he can go either way with the ball like that in the majors, I think that will really lead to some success for him uh, in there. But the other thing that I really found kind of interesting was as you're reading more, it's like that he could play pretty much anywhere in the infield. So a lot of people are suspecting he might already come up as a utility guy out of spring training, you know, for them. But the other thing is that, like, you know, I'm not a big believer in jerks and profars, so so you don't know that second base job might open up uh, sooner rather than later for for Cronenworth. So if he can hit, he does well in spring training, and if you, you see him getting time at second base, you know that might be a wide open opportunity for him too as well. So again, sooner rather than later. So I, I'm all about Cronenworth. I'm really excited uh, to see what he can do come spring training uh, and whatnot. I think he ends up being, you know, if you're in a 16-team league, you might take a flyer on him now. 16-team plus league, you mm-hmm. might take a flyer on him now. Anything less than that, kind of keep him as a flag on the waiver wire and just kind of see how it plays out with Jerks and Profar because I agree. He, Profar does not seem like the kind of guy that's going to repeat 2018. I think 2019 is kind of what he is. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you three names and you pick one to talk about. Josh Naylor, mm-hmm. Taylor Trammell, Tierso or Nilas? Out of those, I think I like to talk about um, uh, Trammell uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, he just came over, you know, in the trade to uh, what was it? Uh, he came in the trade with um, with the Indians and the Reds last year, where he came over and they sent uh, Reyes out. Those with the Trevor Bauer trade and whatnot. And it's really interesting in that way that like to try and figure out what his path is, you know, to playing time. Uh, he obviously struggled at double A last year. 
uh, pretty heavily with the Reds to see if it's a change of scenery type thing. If he just you know needs another sh- another round of double A to make the adjustment. As I as far as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's kind of the the book on on Trammels that he tends to come up to a level, struggle a little bit, and then the second time through, uh, you know, do much better at it. And so I'm, I'm interested to see if that happens because obviously, you know, he would supersede most any, you know, hierarchy for their for their outfield. Um, that you know he could he could be their future. You know, seven years. You know, part of that big. Uh, you know, their outfield for the future. And so I, I'd love to see what he can do. You know, in Double A, he's someone I'll be wa- watching a lot to see if he starts to rebound. Because again, also. Uh, from what I was seeing, it doesn't seem like the Padres are more they're pitching, but are not afraid to if a guy is performing at Double A uh, to bring him up, you know, and give them a shot straight and skip Triple A. So I wouldn't be shy, you know, if he if he hits, you know, well to see him in as early as 2021, you know, see him get a cup of coffee this year, whatever that kind of thing. If he's performing well at Double A, so I'm really interested interested to see what Taylor Trammell does there. Yeah, I mean, he is the type of player where. Yeah, it's high risk, high reward. Like he could, he could be a leadoff hitter and steal thirty bases for you. He could be a cleanup hitter and hit thirty home runs for you. He could do both mm-hmm. in the same year. Uh, or, or on the flip side, he could completely flame out and he could be the Lewis Brinson two point um, But he is, he's just so tantalizing that it's hard to walk away from something like that and if you have the opportunity to pick him up especially in a dynasty league you do and and you try to take him and if he's you know if you're selling off and he's the first name that's thrown out there to you have a really strong second and third name but allow him to be that first name for you because you are trying to build for the future and you're trying to win and that's the type of player that you can acquire and have for a long time and win so yeah, I agree. And you never know, especially with him having struggled at double A, it might be the kind of good uh, player to target in a dynasty because you never know if the owner might not be uh, all in or might be willing to move on from given his struggles. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the arms. Um, I wrote in my notes basically that, uh, you know, we they're weak at the top and strong at the bottom. Uh, they're very, very sexy at the bottom. So... I don't know which one you want to start with as far as the arms go, but I'm looking at Cal Quantrell, uh, Adrian Morejan, and Michelle Baez. Either any of those three, I mean, they've all had their struggles separately, and they all kind of have like a reliever-type feel to them in some way or shape or form. Any of them interest you? Any of them that you're buying? Not particularly. I mean, I agree with you that I think – I think in the long run, looking at their both their their profiles and their, uh, you know how they've kind of performed and developed, I think practically all three of them are uh, bullpen arms. I mean, I think Baez was in the bullpen last year and did well in the bullpen. Uh, so you know, obviously, he's already had some success there. My hard part with getting excited about any of these three guys, none of them really seem to a strike out enough guys that I think they'll have sustained success as a starter and kind of they're they don't really have the uh the arsenal the you know to to make me think that there might be potential for that that k rate to come around um maybe Quantrill sticks around in the uh, you know as a fifth starter or something like that yeah i could easily see that you know but uh i think especially with morjan uh 
he also gets his injury history is so you know it, you just go down and it's injury after injury after injury that you just kind of wonder if at some point his arm itself and his body is going to dictate that he moves to the bullpen. Um, so I, 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 I'm not real, real huge on any of these guys unless they start to develop up, uh, a little more strikeout potential or health in Morjan's chase case. And then obviously you have your, your two aces in the hole, Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. Um, either of those guys, you have any real worries about anybody that, that you look at them and you say, I, I, don't, I'm not as high as that on them as other people may be. Oh, hey, sorry. Um, so hey, obviously the last two the last two names are uh, Luis Patino and Mackenzie Gore. Um, you know, I look at these two; they're aces in the hole. Um, are you lower on them than most other people uh, that are around you, or do you feel like they're they're the aces and and they're going to come up and they're going to be the number one or number two that everybody thinks that they that they should be? Yeah, I'm in lockstep. I, I love these two guys. I think Mackenzie Gore's got all of the makeup of it. You know, obviously, he's got such a unique uh, motion and form that. You know, you can have some concerns for that, but what I love uh, looking at both of these guys, but you know, with Gore as well, you know, and we could see Gore as early as this year, you know, with the with the Padres if he does well, but they're 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 both immensely uh, talented athletes as well as to being pitchers. So I don't worry about uh, you know necessarily Gore's form taking a toll on him in the way you think of like say other pitchers with weird form like Alex Wood or something like that where it's like you know it doesn't seem to have the frame or the athleticism for it you're like oh the, the Mackenzie Gore seems to have that uh, that um that athleticism to sustain it and then also within that the unique uh, arm angle that he throws from which is you know uh, gives a lot of different looks and unique uh, approaches to his pitches so I, I really I really love Mackenzie Gore and I'll say this about uh, Patino so over the – I wrote about this way back in July, but I actually went to the, the Futures game uh, in Cleveland. Uh, since I'm from there, I went home and visited the family and went to the Futures game and did all the all-star stuff. And one of my favorite things to do when I go to games is sit – you know, if you're in a ballpark that's got the bullpens, you where you can get like right up by the bullpen. So I went and sat there, and we were sitting there at the end of the game. Uh, me and my dad, we were watching, and – you know, I don't obviously know. I didn't know what Patino looked like at the time. They didn't write out the names in the uniform, but we're sitting there, we're watching this guy throw a bullpen, and he was throwing so hard that he literally was knocking his poor bullpen catcher like over. Like you know, you'd hear this. You know, you'd hear the ball hit the glove, and it was just so loud. And like I said, the bullpen catcher fell over a couple times. It was pretty crazy to That's watch wild. him, and uh, you know. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, who is that? And they're like, oh, it's Luis Patino. And I was like, holy cow. Like, you know, I've read about him. I've seen highlights. And then, you know, you look at it and you're like, you can like feel uh, those pitches. It was really cool. So I'm all in on Luis Patino. And then he came in and like struck out like four guys uh, in like an inning and a half. So, you know, it was really fun. All right. Awesome. So are there any other names that you wanted to touch on for the prospects? Or do you feel like we hit on on the high notes there? I think we hit on the high notes. The one guy I did want to uh, mention is, and I'm now it's my turn to uh, butcher a name, but uh, Esteban Juarez is a is a guy maybe to keep our eye on. Yeah, uh, you know he's a 
he's another second baseman. So, you know, we're kind of talking again with that, uh, with how we feel about Profar and his hold on second base. You know, he came over from, I want to say, the Red Sox in a trade. And, uh, you know, he had a 14.2% uh, walk rate in 366 plate appearance at AAA last year. Within that 366 plate appearances, also 19 home runs, was a, had a 122 WRC+. Plus. You know, he has a, his profiles for a high fly ball rate. Uh, with a 20% home run per fly ball uh, rate, uh, goes to all fields. It's kind of one of those things where you're looking at and going, could this guy be the kind of, uh, kind of guy who, with a you know a hot spring training or gets off to a great start in AAA, could you know push Profar for that second base job if he looks ready? Um, and I know they were saying, um, looking at like say Fangraphs um, right up on him way back in. Uh, last spring, they were talking about him being potentially ready for a starting job then. So you look at now, and he's had a full year, a year in which he dominated. Uh, you could easily see him contending for that second base job. So that's one. Uh, Esteban uh, Juarez is a guy I'd put on your radar as well. I love it. Fantastic. So uh, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Port, anything else you're working on that you want the listeners to know about? You know, just plugging away, getting the uh, the other profiles ready. I think I got the. I'm doing the Indians one, so we may speak again soon. I'm doing uh, the one for Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians, and getting that ready. So uh, that should be coming out soon. And other than that, we're just kind of getting ready for uh, you know, pitch for list 5.0 and getting all excited for the for the season to start. Pitchers and catchers can't report soon enough. I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm itching. It's only it's only a month away, really. Well, about a month and a half, but we're, we're getting we're inching closer. Um, all right. Yeah, we so, sure are. so where can we find you? Where where else besides Pitcher List? So right now I'm uh, pretty much exclusively writing on uh, Pitcher List for now. Um, but I'm also, you know, I, I try to be as active on Twitter so you can follow me um, at Daniel J. Port uh, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I try to kind of get – it's a little more Indians-oriented uh, on there because I tend to argue with people about the team up there. But uh, I try to, whenever I find something fun in my writing or my research – put it up there and talk about stuff there so and, and any new projects i pick up you'll you'll find out about there so that's a good place to follow me and find out what i'm doing all right awesome thank you so much dan and uh and no thank problem. you and i guess we will be talking again very soon for the indians uh right up sounds great all right talk to you soon thank you thanks for having me on yeah talk to you soon all right, bye